Hi everybody, welcome to week 6, the halfway point of the course, and the last week before the fall reading week, and Halloween. I want to tell you today about the library at the British School at Rome. Imagine a room two stories tall, lined with dark wood bookshelves, there's a walkway around where the second floor would be with a cast iron railing. You can go up a spiral steel staircase in the corner and browse those shelves up there, looking down on the scholars at their desks below. Each scholar in residence at the school has their favorite desk. People get quite attached to their space. Now, the school faces to the west and in the afternoons, the light slants in through the huge high windows, bathes everything in this sleepy yellow glow. It's beautiful. But as night falls, the shadows get longer, the building starts to cool, and soon there are only small pools of light where the dedicated still labor at their desks. But after supper, no one is in the library. All is quiet. But say you open the little wooden door and step into the vast shadowy darkness. It kind of sucks at you. It pulls you in. And you find that you have to go up the rickety spiral staircase to that second level. And you go up onto that upper walkway and you wander over to the one bit of wall without any books. Try placing a book on that empty shelf. You might look away when you hear something, but when you look back, the book will be on the floor. Now they say the ghost of Eugenie Strong, once the assistant director of the school during World War II, well, she's still attached to her space, and she still likes to work in the library in the dead of night. And she uses this now blocked-in doorway as her own personal entrance. She only throws the books over the edge, so they say. Intro to Digital Archaeology. Intro to Digital Archaeology. Intro to Digital Archaeology. History Thousand at Carlton University with Professor Sean Graham. I want to talk to you about libraries. If knowledge equals power, power equals energy, energy equals matter, and matter equals mass, which is what Terry Pratchett teaches us, then libraries are very dangerous places indeed. Not because they cause explosions, but because the explosions they cause happen inside your own head. Now, if you've ever read any of the works of Terry Pratchett, you'll recognize that I'm talking about what Pratchett calls L-space and its fundamental equation, uh, which is one of the great secrets of librarianship. In essence, all books everywhere affect all other books. And so you can deduce the contents of books not yet written. 
Now we place this all up for satire and comedic effect, and it's all pretty silly. But this week, you'll see that there's a little bit of truth in it. In fact, the main task for this week is to explore over 20,000 archaeological journal articles written in English from about 1935 to 2010-ish. I downloaded all of these from JSTOR's Data for Research service in batches of a thousand at a time. Now, neither you nor I can possibly read all these articles. But, with a little bit of computational help, we might be able to see macroscopic, large-scale trends in the things that these articles talk about. What I've done, in fact, is said to my computer, Computer, imagine there are 150 topics in these 20,000 articles. Please sort each article's words into its most likely topics and show me the results. So the computer looks at each work and the surrounding words for each word in each article versus how that word is used in every other article. It imagines a world where writers pull words from different buckets in different proportions to write. And if you can imagine that, then you can get the computer to work backwards from the proportions into the original buckets. So I've already done the computational part, though I do have tutorials that will show you how to do this. If you're interested, just let me know. For making sense of more material than you can hope to read, a topic model, which is what we've built here, is a great way to get this macroscopic view. So I want you to pay attention to the visualizations that we can produce from the topic model. Look at this topic model of 20,000 articles. Look for inflection points or other interesting blips. Dive into the data. The topic model browser will show you the individual articles, all of which are available through JSTOR. And it'll show you the proportions, and it'll show you how that changes over time, and it'll show you which topics are more similar to what other topics, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of information. Can you identify the trends that lead to the emergence of digital archaeology as we understand it in this class? What about computational archaeology? Is that something different from digital archaeology? You might need a framework to understand these inflection points, and if so, well, you could do worse than the Wikipedia article on archaeological theory. Knowledge equals power equals energy equals matter equals mass. Ideas become real because they dictate how we see and understand patterns in the material culture and what we pay attention to and make real and end up calling archaeology. Today, we're joined by Dr. Aaron Everett of Creighton University. Hello, introduction to digital archaeology students. Your professor, Dr. Graham, invited me to think about several key questions that I believe you will be addressing throughout the semester. And so I thought by, I'd start by introducing myself. My name is Aaron Averett, and I'm a professor of archaeology at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. 
I have excavated in North America, Greece, and Cyprus, but for the last 20 years, I've been working with the Athenu Archaeological Project in Cyprus, which is the easternmost island in the Mediterranean. And I really like working there because it's such an interesting mix of cultures and influences, and it's always changing, so it's always an exciting place to study. My current project is the publication of over a thousand fragments of terracotta figurines that were dedicated as votive offerings at the large rural sanctuary that we've been excavating for the past 15 years. As our project has increasingly incorporated new 3D data into our recording processes, we have begun to rethink the quote gold standard of the archaeological final report with catalog and publication format. Despite innovations in relational databases, imaging, and online resources with linked open data, there is yet an agreed upon replacement for the venerated and large printed final publication that represents the final interpretation of an archaeological site. And so as I work on publishing all of these figurines, I'm considering new ways to publish our 3D models alongside illustrations and photographs, as well as a database that can be continually updated. And so, in other words, to challenge this idea of a final printed monograph is the, is, uh, the end, the, the goal of archaeological publication. So Dr. Graham asked me to speak about how I got started in digital archaeology. And to be honest, one thing you should probably know about me is that I do not consider myself a digital archaeologist. I received a very traditional training in graduate school. When I was in grad school, there weren't really any classes at all on digital archaeology or digital tools in my program. And I think that this was relatively common for most graduate programs in the 90s and 2000s across American institutions. So Whatever, whatever we learned, we had to pick up in the field. And obviously, archaeologists had been using computers and databases and digital tools for quite a long time, but it just wasn't considered something worthy of study in a graduate classroom, right? You kind of learn that on hand. So I've had to learn the digital tools that I need as I go, which has been very challenging. I'm continually impressed at how much training students at all levels can now get with digital technology and digital archaeology. And so this is. Um, a big change um, from just, I think, graduate training a decade ago. Our excavation on Cyprus first started experimenting with new digital technologies as we followed the innovations of the Pompeii Portastabia project and others as they uh, transitioned from traditional paper notebooks to digital notebooks on iPads. As the Athenu Archaeological Project tested and then adopted the digital notebook, which replaced our paper notebooks, and used born digital data, it forced me to really think about how the tools we use inform how we record, process, and even analyze and interpret the archaeological data. But the vast array of new digital tools now at our fingertips, as they become cheaper and easier to use, this is only increasing. And so I think archaeologists are now faced with many challenges as they struggle to adopt these tools in an effective, meaningful, and ethical way. Since our first experiments with digital notebooks, we have started creating 3D models of some of our artifacts using structured light scanning and photogrammetry to record the trenches as they are being excavated and to create a 3D map of the sanctuary. So I guess you could say my start in digital archaeology was slow and formal and clumsy. 
The next question that Dr. Graham posed is, what is the biggest challenge facing digital archaeology at the moment? And that's a very big question. You're probably going to get a lot of different answers. But from my point of view, I see two major challenges. And the first one is that as we see the academic job market become more and more dire, there is a widening divergence between what students are being trained to do to be good archaeologists in graduate school and what skills will get them the elusive tenure track jobs. What makes you a good archaeologist? Things like specializing, knowing digital tools, being aware and knowing how to incorporate scientific advances in archaeology, GIS, etc., does not usually correspond, in classical archaeology in the US at least, to what search committees want, which is traditional training in Greek and Latin languages and the ability to teach the languages and standard culture courses. And so this is a disconnect, right? What makes you a good archaeologist doesn't necessarily make you a good job candidate. And that's a big problem. The second challenge is that after the rapid adoption of digital tools, um, and this is pretty standard, right? It's not unique to archaeology, but when you have new technology, people just experiment and try them out in different ways. But archaeologists are only just now stepping back and considering larger issues of ethics and the epistemological implications of these new tools on our discipline. And the good news is that there's some really great scholarship that is considering these things now. And I expect to see more and more scholars address these broader implications in the near future. The fourth question was, what drives you up the wall about how digital archaeology is currently received or perceived in the profession? I think there is still a perception from scholars who don't do it or who don't read about it that digital archaeology is about knowing tech and that there's very little intellectual value, interpretation, or analysis. In other words, they don't see the difference between IT and digital scholarship and research. Of course, this is bonkers, but I think the number of people with this narrow and incorrect view is dwindling as some basic knowledge of how digital tools enhance research is now necessary and it's becoming more commonplace. I'm going to skip Professor Graham's optional question about glorious failures. I'll just say that, of course, I've had them, right? They're great learning experiences, but it would push me over my a lot my minute allotment here so i'm going to end with addressing dr graham's last question and that is what fills you with hope and i think today younger scholars especially are forcing us all to really delve into the ethical issues in archaeology more generally but also in digital archaeology specifically studies on the ethnography of fieldwork ethics of data collection access and publication and digital appropriation and more are forcing us all to think a lot more deeply about the impact of what we do. And that's a really important thing. And so thank you to Dr. Graham for the invitation to give these questions some more thought and to your students. I hope that you enjoy the rest of your semester. Thank you.